Um, I wanted to share a, a verse that's been ministering to me. And, um, you know, the, the word says that man does not live by bread alone, but um, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And uh, just how we need physical sustenance um, for our bodies, right? We need spiritual sustenance. And that spiritual sustenance is the, is the bread of heaven, uh, which is God's word. And so I have prepared this tasty spiritual morsel um, for all of us to partake in. Um, and the focus and uh, purpose of that is that our minds would be retuned to God's mind, that our hearts would be retuned to his heart, and uh, that we would be filled with the reality um, of God and uh, his thoughts toward us and what he's established us in him. And we are his children, so let's grow into that. So if you turn uh, with your Bibles uh, to Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and that's uh, page 543 in uh, our Bibles here at Solano that we use. And if you need a Bible, um, please raise your hand, and Kevin or somebody will will help you out. Um, So when we get there soon, we will read it. Zephaniah 3, 15 through 17. Strap in. This is awesome. All right, it says this. Let's start at verse 14, actually. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. There's so much richness to that passage. uh, But I want to focus on verse 17 this morning. So let's read that one more time. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. That's a powerful word, and uh, let's just pause and and ask God to to thank him. Let's let's thank God for his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord, the fact that it is a light unto our feet, and it is a lamp unto our path. God, thank you that you, Jesus, are the living word that you are the king of kings and that you are, in fact, right now are in the midst of us and that we have no need to fear evil. And we want to open our hearts and our minds right now that you might be able to minister to us, God. Realign our minds, realign our hearts to yours, O Father, that we might know the great things that you have in store for us in your great love, that we might know the depth, the height, and the width of that love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Have you ever uh, thought that you knew somebody so well, uh, and then you realized that you didn't know them that well? Uh, I, I share a room with my friend Byron. Um, he helps out with drums sometimes. And uh, you think that living with a person, right, you might know them really well. Um, but one time I went to his work, and he works in the city, and uh, I visited him, and I'll tell you, the dude seemed like a, a mini celebrity, right? He was schmoozing people. All his coworkers liked him. He's handing his free food and fancy water, like coconut water and all this stuff. Um, apparently, he was also the master foosball player. It's one of these fancy startups where you get, like, all these toys in the, in the job. And uh, so I challenged him to foosball, and uh, it turned out that, well, I'll let him tell you the story one time, but uh, I don't want to burst his ego, you know. Um, but it was one of those things where you realize I've only just skimmed the surface of this person, right? And I, I live with him. And in my walk with God, I'm constantly surprised at how much greater and cooler God is than I thought. And I don't mean cool in that suave kind of way, but cool in this magnificent and glorious and wondrous way. Because you see, he keeps surprising me with what the word says are the abundance and the riches of his grace. And our God is infinitely glorious. And how many of us here this morning can attest to that, that our God is amazing? And one of the greatest gifts that we have as children of God is the reality that his presence is with us at all times. And his presence is here with us right now. The spirit of him who has been given authority in heaven and on earth is with us right now. Praise God. So Zephaniah 3, I'm super excited. It says, 317 says, the Lord God, that's that first section, it says, the Lord, your God is in your midst. And that title, the Lord, is I am that I am. His covenantal name. We don't have a God who is far away in the heavens. Because the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said, is in the midst of us. We don't have a God who needs to be sought in a temple. We don't need to make pilgrimage somewhere. Because we are the temple of the living God. He makes his home in us the moment that we are born again in the Holy Spirit. And we've been given new life. And we have his seed. There's a beautiful Spanish song that I learned as a, as a young man. And it goes like this. It goes, En el principio el Espíritu de Dios se movía sobre las aguas. And then it goes, Pero ahora se está moviendo dentro de mi corazón. And it says this, In the beginning, the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters, but now he moves inside my heart. Isn't that powerful? Whew. We're never alone. Solano, you, all of us here, we're never alone. In fact, at all times, we are invited into intimacy with the triune God. Through Christ and through his spirit, we get a firsthand view of a culture of love that exists between the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. The richness of his presence is available to us through Jesus Christ. I listened to a guy named Dallas Willard, and I call him my boy D. Willie. It's just a silly thing. 
But he says this about God's presence. He says, the restoration of the soul is one of the things that happens as we keep company with Jesus. The restoration of the soul is one of the things that happens as we keep company with Jesus. And isn't that true in in Psalm 23 in that line where the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So the Lord, your God, is in your midst. God's presence is in us. God's presence is near us. And as we open up that intimacy with him as a byproduct is the restoration of our souls. And how many of us today here need that restoration of our souls? Maybe something in us is still being mended. Perhaps somebody broke something against our own will in us. Or maybe because of our bad choices, we found that our soul needs restoration. My brothers and sisters, I pray that God would restore you even now in this moment that he would start that process. But as you spend time with him, as you make time for that relationship, I guarantee that you will find yourself more satisfied, less stressed, more at peace, simply because of God's restorative presence. I want to ask, uh, how many of you are married in this room? Awesome. I'm not married. Uh, But I hear that in order to have a healthy marriage, You're supposed to spend time with one another. Is that true? That's what I heard. But it's like that in any form of relationship, I think. It requires intentionality, right? So a friend of mine uh, used to live with me in Berkeley, and he recently moved to San Diego. Um, And oftentimes I would call him, and uh, it was usually, however, when I was multitasking, when I was driving or doing something, and, and when one day he picked up the phone and he answered, he said, are you driving again? He automatically knew that when I called him, I was probably driving, multitasking. And that was kind of a burn, right? Because, you know, he, he probably wanted some of that more intentional time from me, not just a, bi- a, a, a multitasking thing. And I know we're supposed to pray at all times without ceasing, but if we're always multitasking with God we're going to miss out on some of that restorative process with him that comes with just sitting in his presence. And I encourage you to carve out that time for him because as you'll see, he delights in you. He delights in his children. Jesus was the best prayer multitasker ever. He was always with the Spirit, but even he, even Jesus, would spend time in solitude to be with his Father And you would have thought that after spending all of eternity past with him, maybe he didn't want to anymore. But that's not the case. And in the same way, God wants to spend time with us. And in a lot of ways, it's sometimes not that hard. Uh, One thing I want to share about God's presence that he's been revealing to me is in regards to to worship and praise. And um, that that revelation comes from Psalm 22.3, which says, Yet you are are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And another translation would be that he inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. 
So as we sing praises, God inhabits his presence and inhabits that praise. And we're met in a special way. So church, when we gather on Sunday mornings, it's really, really a unique opportunity to invite God's presence to be with us. As we declare who he is and his greatness, he meets us. He manifests his presence in a very special way to us. He, we crown him as king, and he restores our soul in the midst of that process. Let's remember that when we gather together, and he's here with us right now. Um, the second part of uh, Zephaniah 3.17 says that he is a mighty warrior who saves. One of the, the greatest displays of God's might is at, Exodus, at the Exodus during the plagues. And if you remember, the Israel, Israelite nation, the nation of Israel, is uh, enslaved in Egypt. And God wants to set his people free. So he sends plagues on Egypt because Pharaoh is not going to let his people go. And those plagues aren't just a random manifestation of his power. They actually weren't. But with each plague, God was actually establishing himself as king over all other false gods. You see, each plague represented the dethroning of one or multiple Egyptian deities. You had the Nile, right? There was probably a river god or a water god. There was the, the crop god. There was the deity of the livestock, even of fertility with the firstborn. And by the end of the plagues, God has dismantled the entire Egyptian pantheon. Finally, Pharaoh releases the Israelites But fickle as he was, Pharaoh sends the remainder of Egypt's army against Israel. And sure enough, they come up against the Red Sea. But what does God tell Moses? I don't know if you remember. Exodus 14, 14 says this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And how many of us feel like we're constantly fighting for ourselves? Maybe we're trying to fight the battles in our own strength, but that's a tactic of the enemy. The enemy is trying to fill fill our minds with thoughts of feelings and feelings of insufficiency, inadequacy, with fear. He wants to immobilize us, squash our faith. I don't know what battle each of you guys are fighting today, but God knows And he's telling us to let him fight on his behalf, on our behalf. He wants us to trust that he will take care of those battles, that we need only to stand firm in faith. And this is so counterintuitive for us because oftentimes in derision and in conflict, we want to take the reins, right? We want to take control. But God is reminding us to surrender to his might. You remember the story of Peter? He tried to take the fight into his own hands, too. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter, uh, upon seeing one of the soldiers to come and arrest Jesus, he pulls out his sword, right? And he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus tells him, no, Peter, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword as well. And Peter tried to fight that battle on his own strength. But he didn't realize that God was fighting for him as he was going to the cross. You see, Jesus is a good king, and a good king will fight on the front lines. And we have a good king that we can trust. 
Jesus is the greatest mighty warrior. His perfect death on the cross and his victory over sin, death, and the devil is why he said it is finished. God is reminding us that we are to stand in that victory. The Apostle Paul tells us that we're more than conquerors, but it's only when we trust that God's victory is sufficient that we can rest in him. So I want to ask us, are we willing today to surrender the battle and trust in God's victory? Are we ready for that? Because as we do, he will quiet us by his love. As Zephaniah 3.17 says, he's not only a mighty warrior, but he will quiet us by his love. Another amazing thing about God is that not only is he tough, but he's extremely tender. He's a mighty warrior, but also the scriptures say that a bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Have you seen a wick that almost looks like it's about to be put out? Well, God, he says that he will not quench a smoldering wick. As infinitely powerful and mighty as he is, he is also infinitely tender and gentle. And I love that quote from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. When asked if the lion, lion Aslan is safe, do you remember the answer given? He says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. I think that's great. Our God He's not safe. He has all the power in all the universe, but he's good. And we can rest in his shelter because he's a good king. Our God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. As our shepherd and keeper of our souls, he provides us with all of his blessings and the riches of his love. So much so that we will not lack any good thing. That's what the scriptures tell us. Perhaps we have yet to know a strong love like this. Maybe we've been left wanting by the frailty of anemic love. Maybe our parents didn't love us well. Maybe our spouses or significant others haven't loved us well. But we have one love that is greater than all other loves, and that is the love of our Father, the love of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask again, are there areas of our hearts that we know God is waiting for us to surrender. What areas are those? This verse says that by his love we will be quieted. And is your mind constantly racing with thoughts of things to do or things that you've done wrong? He longs to still those with his love. Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And that's what's happening this morning. We're being sanctified in the truth of who God is. It says in his scriptures, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It says in the scriptures, at your right hand, God, there are pleasures forevermore. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Jesus says, come all ye who are weary and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon thee and learn from me. There's that intentional time again. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a promise. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He will quiet you by his love. 
And one of the even crazier parts of Zephaniah 3.17 is the, the next phrase. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. And that is a, a crazy phrase. And the reason is because the word rejoice, uh, some of the scholars actually interpret as to spin around or to dance. It's an expression of jubilation. God is rejoicing over us with gladness. He's, he can't hold it in, basically. He can't hold it in because he's so joyful to be near us and with us. And I want to uh, remind us of that phrase, he will rejoice over you. This comes from uh, the, the new covenant. In Jeremiah, uh, God says this. These are his words, like thus says the Lord. So listen, cl- listen carefully. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, with us here in this room, with the church, with his bride, that I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them. There it is. I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. You see, each and every one of us is precious in God's eyes. I don't know if you believe that fully. I don't know if I believe that fully. Because imagine if I actually believed that, if I knew how much actually God loved me, what would that change? How would my life be different? And that's not a guilt thing. That's an encouragement to have bolder faith. It's encouragement to have more peace. It's an encouragement to have a deeper intimacy with God. The reality is that God loves us that much, and he loves us that much more. If you remember, Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He said that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened to understand the massive love of Christ that surpasses our intellect. And here in the Bay Area, we're very good at intellect. But Paul says that this love is beyond that. There is no category for this kind of love. No love is greater. No love is higher. No love is truer or deeper. And we need to hear that. We need to know this. We need to receive that and open ourselves to that love. We need this love to be our fuel, to be our thoughts, to be all that which we soak in. And we have this love through Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus said, remain in my love. Abide in my love. His love knows no end. It has no boundaries. It is so unashamed to the point that he would rejoice, spin around, dance over us. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine God dancing over you? It's kind of silly, right? The author of heaven and earth, the author of salvation, the creator, almighty God, delights in us. And he doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in victory and in boldness. That's what makes God rejoice. The fact that he has given you victory in his son, Jesus Christ, and that now we are a new creation in him. I have an aunt and an uncle, my uh, tia Judith and tio Raul, and uh, I have a nephew named Robbie, and sometimes... um, uh, they would they would babysit Robbie, 
And uh, my aunt and uncle, as good Latinos, we, they love karaoke. And um, I think there's only a couple more countries that might like karaoke more than Hispanics or Mexicans. And uh, so on one of these karaoke fests and sessions, um, my nephew Robbie was there. And my aunt and uncle, they're just, they're just up there singing. I don't know what song, out of tune, it's terrible. That's probably why they do karaoke. It's like in the privacy of your home, you think you're a rock star. But uh, Robbie was there, and he's kind of, he just, it's, he's in the middle of the living room as they're singing, and he's just kind of in bewilderment. And all of a sudden, they took, you know, because you get microphones and that sort of thing, and they, they were just singing and dancing over him in, in a circle, and he's just kind of looking around, and finally he, like, smiles and he gets up and he starts dancing too. And he, it's just a confidence builder, right? He, in that moment, he's filled with joy and love. And God never wants us to be childish, but he always wants us to remain childlike. No matter how old and mature we get, quote unquote mature, <laughs> we will always be a child of God, a child of the Father. And that love is given to you by the power of Jesus and his spirit. He rejoices over you with loud singing. He's not just singing a lullaby, although I'm sure he does that because he quiets us by his love too, right? But it says that he rejoices over you with loud singing. And Solana, I want to encourage, encourage you to believe that this morning. To not be ashamed. If God's not on a sh- if He's not ashamed of us, why should we be ashamed of Him? Why should be we be ashamed of each other? You know, I, I in love I encourage you to to break free from whatever things that might hold us back from the fullness of who we are in Christ from each other. But Jesus is actually the ultimate praise and worship leader. It says that every dot and iota would be fulfilled, that Jesus would fulfill that, right? And so we think, well, when did Jesus sing? And actually, um, that scripture was fulfilled in Jesus in Matthew 26, 30, Mark 14, 6. It's a parallel passage that on the night that he was betrayed, they break bread, and right before they go to the garden, it says that Jesus sang a hymn with them. And so he's the ultimate praise leader. That's why when you, when you see me or Keith or somebody up there, we're just following Jesus. We're learning from him. We're taking his yoke, which is easy. And kind of along the same lines of, of God being in the midst of us, inhabiting the praises of his people, I, I, dare, I dare us to imagine that God right now is singing over us. And in fact, that when we gather as as a church body, that he, we actually are harmonizing with God, right? And I, I just, I encourage you to make that song loud. And we're going to take communion in, in a minute. Um, but oftentimes we approach the communion table with thoughts of either what we didn't do or we did do this week, and we call that sin, but doing things or not doing things is only the fruit. It's the end result of deeper things. We have to get 
to the root, to the soil. And I want to encourage us to see this, this table as an opportunity to repent from, yes, from the sin, the things we did or didn't do, but even beyond that, to our lack of trust in God and our lack of believing his love, because that's really the root in which we start to take our life into our own hands. If we, were, if we were fully immersed in his love as Jesus was, there's no room for sin because you, you delight in God. He delights in you. And as that happens, our souls will be restored like we talked about. Let's trade our small and weak, blurry vision of him. Let's replace it with the glorious realities of his love toward us. Let's trade our lack of faith for an unshakable faith. Let's trade our lack of trust with the power of his spirit. And I just want to read that Zephaniah 3, 17 one more time. Actually, from 14 to 17 because it's way too good. Let's just read it one more time. It says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word again. Jesus, you prayed that we might be sanctified in your truth. You told us that we should remain in your love. And I just ask God this morning that you would minister to us. You are in the presence. Your presence is in the midst of us right now. And I pray that our souls would be restored. God, that every day we might make your presence more and more manifest in our life as we acknowledge you in everything we do, as we spend that intentional one-on-one time, not multitasking. God, I pray that you would increase our time somehow, that you would make us feel like that time is easy to, to access and easy to enter into. Lord, our schedules are so busy, and we, we're sorry for that. We're sorry that we think that that's more important than spending time with you. And so, Father, I ask you that, you that you would meet us with your spirit. That we would truly know that you are rejoicing over us with gladness. And that it's not a weak rejoicing, but that you're a mighty warrior who's given us victory. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the good king who fought on the front lines. And that we can trust you in that victory. We praise your name and worship you. Amen.